Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. Hey everybody, welcome to the table. And welcome to this special episode of Redemption's Table. If you are listening on Monday, December 23rd, it's Christmas Eve Eve. Wow. You know, the first Christmas came. It came in its own time. Mary and Joseph anticipated the birth of their son, the Savior of the world. They anticipated, but they never could have expected the way it actually turned out. On a journey, because they were forced to travel, forced to return to Joseph's hometown, in a barn, in a manger, in a stable, with a bunch of smelly animals gathered around, sweet, but smelly. And then on that particular night, right after Mary had given birth to Jesus, shepherds show up. <laughs> that had to be very unusual. And then sometime within a year and a half to two years later, wise men, magi, came from the east and brought gifts. The first Christmas came. It just came on its own terms. It just showed up. And that's how I choose to celebrate Christmas now. Every year, I just let it come. I never know how it's going to happen. I just watch it unfold. Now, I anticipate it. I hunger for it. I lean in toward it in the celebration of Advent. But I deliberately choose not to become frantic about it. And that is so liberating. And so for this particular podcast, I want to take a few stops along my Advent journey this year. Some things that I have written along the way and interspersed in this podcast will be music from a couple of worship services that I participated in. You've heard me rave about Christmas at Shades, and it was indeed so wonderful this year. That was a, a another special worship. And then the following Sunday, I attended for the very first time ever the Behold the Lamb of God concert that Andrew Peterson puts on every year. He's been doing it for 20 years. And I'm like, hello, Robert. Why did it take me 20 years 
to discover this incredible worship event. So I want to share some music from both of those nights and share some other things along the way. So thank you for coming along on this journey today. Advent is the journey I'm always willing to take. I hope you are too. Let's get started. a few mornings before Christmas Day. I'm seated at my table, the place where I gather every morning to meet with God, to spend some time with Jesus. My redemption's table. It's a round table that sits in the corner of my kitchen. It's a little past sunrise this morning. I'm sitting here, and in the center of my table, there's an Advent wreath beautiful advent wreath that I discovered on Ann Voskamp's web website. and It's a spiral. It spirals inward. There's a little hole drilled in this wooden spiral for a candle to go into each and every day as you draw closer to Christmas, and it just spirals inward there toward the nativity. A few mornings back, I was here at the table, in time alone with the Lord. And I was compelled to grab some paper and, and to write. And here, here's what I wrote. And as I, I wrote these words, I, I really was not thinking of sharing them or didn't know how I would share them, maybe in written form. But what I wrote, I entitled Hush. Hush. I am transfixed by this portal, this little manger, this little manger that is holding straw right now, a little manger where as each day approaches towards Advent, another, another strand of straw is placed in that little feeding trough there. There's a star that hovers over that feeding trough. I am transfixed by that, this portal. I've been staring into it the past 20 minutes. Its invitation is something fierce. Straw never looked so comforting. Hush. Thoughts of my season are like sideways snow driven by the winds of acceleration. 
It has been a very busy December, for there are deadlines to keep and treasures to heap and miles to go before I sleep. And yet this wooden box bids me cease. Hush. There is fodder there in the rack. It smells of fresh cut hay, and as most manger scenes do, it looks very tidy, but in actuality, you know that that stable, that manger, that little bitty barn, that little bitty shed had to reek of manure and urine. But here's the thing about the homeless or the shelterless. The, the shelterless care not for niceties just respite from the cold and from the storm. Hush. December 1st was the first Sunday of Advent this year. And in the church where I preach every week, on that particular Sunday morning, I preached from Luke chapter 1, the account of Zechariah, the soon-to-be father of John the Baptist. Zechariah was serving there in the temple and as he was, the, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him that he and his wife, Elizabeth, they were going to have a child. And up until that point, they had been barren. They had not had any children. Zechariah's response to this good news was doubt and disbelief and a chuckle under his breath, and, and because he responded that way in disbelief, the, the angel of the Lord, under the guidance of God, said, okay, you don't speak for the next nine months. You don't say a word. <laughs> and I can imagine the wonder of that, entering into a temple to serve God, being able to talk and, and, and coming out, not being able to say a word. And I made the comment that morning to our congregation, I said, wouldn't that be nice if we were granted the gift of Zechariah this December? Wouldn't it be nice if all of our politicians from the White House all the way down were struck with the band of Zechariah? There's a little line in one of my favorite Christmas carols, it came upon the midnight clear. And there's a little line in that carol that says, Oh, hush, ye noise, ye men of strife. And here the angels sing. There's a need in our, our hearts for hush. It's the cry for peace. And as I sit here in front of this little portal, this little manger, I'm transfixed by it. As I stare into this empty feeding trough, awaiting a little baby to be placed in the trough, a feeding trough is offering to feed my soul. Hush.
every year on my Advent journey, I enjoy winter solstice. Winter solstice is December the 21st. It's the longest night of the year. It's the beginning of winter. I enjoy that day because it has special meaning for me. And I'm sitting here recording this on winter solstice, December 21st. I am at New Prospect Baptist Church in Autauga County. And the reason I'm here, this is the place where I first surrendered my heart to Jesus Christ. So I'm sitting here at winter solstice. Tonight is the longest night of the year. It is fitting that we celebrate Jesus' birthday near winter solstice. We are all either on a long night's journey into night or on a long night's journey into day, but there is little doubt that it is night. It is night on the Syrian border. It is night on the Rio Grande. It is night in the brothels of human trafficking. It is night in Washington, D.C. It is night in your hometown. It is night in the hearts of all who argue over tragedy before a single soul is laid to rest. It is night in the hearts of those who cry politics or intolerance. It is night in the hearts of those who cry alone. We are surrounded in the pitch of irrevocable truth. The wages of sin is still death, and we all pick up the tab of one another's transgressions. Like bumper cars without safety belts in the dark of a cave, we collide and domino into one another with violent blows that potentially wound our souls forever. We're not getting better. We're not evolving towards a higher consciousness. It is night. Tonight is the longest night of the year. And yet, four steps away is Christmas. The prophet Isaiah declared a certainty. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Isaiah 9, verse 2. Baby Jesus grew up and claimed to be that light in John 12, 46. Wednesday's dawn will find us spiraling closer to summer than winter, but will it find us closer to hope than despair? Forty-nine years ago tonight, I was placed in a watery grave. At ten years of age, I had no way of knowing how much I needed to die. As my long night's journey draws me closer today, more flaws are exposed. As the Christ I invited into my heart grows, more sin is forced to the surface. I'm not getting better, but I am being transformed from the inside out. And any glimmer you might catch through my brokenness does not originate from me. It is He who shatters all darkness, bringing life and light. Gloria in excelsis Deo.
darkness now see the light of morning the mighty god the prince of peace a child to us is born behold the lamb of god who takes away our sin Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who died and rose. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take. The greatest peace is to be found. The greatest peace is to be found. I remember the very first Christmas, I was exposed to the lighting of Advent candles each of the four Sundays before the actual celebration of Christmas Day. I was on staff at First Baptist Church, Abilene, Texas. I remember being introduced there to a, to something else. I remember them telling me a few weeks prior to Christmas that every year they had a candlelight Christmas Eve service. And it wasn't so much unusual that they had that service as when they had it. They had it scheduled for 11 p.m. at night. And when they first told me about that special service, I looked at the rest of the staff and I scoffed. I was in disbelief. I said... If I didn't say it, I thought it. I thought, nobody's going to show up here at this church at 11 o'clock at night for candlelight communion. Boy, was I wrong. The first time I attended that service, I had to sit in the balcony. I'd never seen that church so full to overflowing. That is so much like me. I have to learn lessons I have to relearn some things, but sometimes because of my stubbornness, I just have to learn in the first place. And I'm grateful to have served that great church for almost four years because of what they introduced me to. And, and now, on Christmas Eve, I want to be in worship somewhere. And ideally, I want to be at worship at an 11 p.m. worship service because I long to step out into night at midnight, sometimes carrying a candle, singing Silent Night, symbolizing light entering into the world. But on the four Sundays prior to Christmas Day, we light the candle, and I don't know how you do it at your church. I don't know the order in which you do it. The order that I was taught, again, came when I was serving First Baptist Abilene. You begin with the candle of hope. There's that anticipation, hoping. But then the second candle that should be lit is love. Talking about the love of God. 
the love of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave us this baby, his son, to be the savior of the world. And the third candle is joy. There cannot be joy until we understand and grasp love. Joy comes out of the love. And then the final candle is peace. Again, there is no peace without understanding love. The greatest peace is to be found. This particular Advent journey, I've been drawn to the concept and the thought of peace. The song that has struck me the most in 2019 was Andrew Peterson's Is He Worthy? It's a a tremendous worship song. It may be my favorite worship song of all time. The song asks the question, do you feel the world is broken? And the response is, we do. Over and over asking these questions, indicating something's wrong here. Something's wrong in the way that we interact with one another. There's something wrong in the way that the world system works runs. Peace comes when you are found. I was drawn to Luke chapter 15, that great chapter of three parables that Jesus taught the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, the prodigal son. In all three of those stories, something is lost Something or someone has to be found. The first parable you see displayed often, it's the lost sheep. It's where the shepherd, upon the evening count of his fold, he should have a 100 sheep in the fold. And lo and behold, he counts and there's only 99. And it says that he leaves the 99 and goes out to find that one sheep that is lost, and he brings him back to the fold. And there's joy when he brings him back. I love that parable. Then there's the parable of the lost coin. We'll get back to that one in just a moment. But there's the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, perhaps the most famous short story ever written. A father has two sons. One son one day comes to his father and says, Dad, I want my half of the inheritance, which In essence, what he was telling his father is, Father, I wish you were dead, because if you're dead, then I could receive what I want from you. So since you're not dead, let's just go ahead and kill this relationship. Just give me my half of the inheritance and cut me loose. The father does that. The son goes into the far country. He wastes what he has. He has no money and He accepts the only job he could get, which is to work slopping hogs. And that would be abhorrent to a young Jewish boy. And he comes to himself in the pig pen, realizing it would be better off if I returned to my father's house, my father's ranch, my father's land, just to be his servant. It would be better to be his servant and spend the rest of my days here slopping hogs. And he goes and he returns home to the father and that beautiful account of how the father is looking down the road waiting for his son to return. 
And, and I know that parable well, that, that, that reunion of that father and that son, that love of that father. But there's that story in between that I really haven't spent a whole lot of time looking at. The parable of the lost coin. A woman who is cleaning house or you know, she's going about her household day and, and she has money set aside for something, a coin set aside for something, and she loses it. And you know, we do that all the time. We lose our keys. We lose our phone. She lost a coin. She lost that of value. And it says that she literally tore that house apart looking for that coin. And when she found it, how much she rejoiced. The greatest peace is to be found. I had a profound moment at the Christmas at Shades this year, toward the end of that service, under the direction of Michael Adler and that wonderful worship team, wonderful wonderful choir and orchestra, they sang a song that up until now I'd just been kind of uh, indifferent about. The song is Waymaker. Talking about God, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper. Uh, and I, I heard the song that night, and I heard it as if I had heard it for the first time. And what really caught my attention about the song is uh, there's a part, portion of the song after the chorus has been sung a couple of times. It, it talks about God. It says, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You're always working. You never stop working. You never stop coming. Advent never stops coming. And as I'm sitting there listening to this in the pew, I picture Jesus coming for me. I I picture him just pushing aside whatever is in the way, almost with with the same type intensity as he surely must have cleared that temple, those temple courts, turning those tables over removing all obstructions between myself and him. And he was coming to me and saying, I love you. The loss, the greatest peace is to be found. And at the end of that service, I I found myself reminded again of how much God loves me, of how much Jesus loves me. That was the pinnacle of my Advent journey this year. The greatest peace is to be found. Peace comes when you are found. Are you found? Peace comes when when you are found. Peace comes when you find. You know that the woman who searched for that coin, peace came into her home when she found that that was of great worth. Peace came into the home again of the father when he found his son, when his son returned. Peace came to the fold when the shepherd found the one lost sheep, the one straggler, and brought him back to the fold. The greatest peace is to be found. Peace comes when you are found. Peace comes when you find. Peace comes when you find someone worth waiting on. Let me tell you, 
the love of God, Jesus Christ, He's worth waiting on. Whatever's going on in your life this season, He's worth waiting on. Peace is measured by your willingness to wait and trust. Again, as celebrated this Christmas, if you think about Christmas in the context of history, for the Jewish people, they had been waiting 400 years, 420 years. It had been 400 to 420 years since God spoke to them through a prophet. And when did it all kick in motion again? It kicked in motion after Zechariah. Talked about him a few moments ago. When Zechariah, who went into the temple to serve his time, the angel appeared to him there, said, you and your wife Elizabeth, you've been barren all these years. Okay, you're going to have a son. You're to name him John. And Zechariah didn't buy it. He he, he just kind of stunned him. It shocked him. And the angel said, "Because because of your reaction, boom, you don't get to speak for nine months. So nine months of silence. Add it to 420 years of silence. And then when the child is born, then when they are getting ready to name the child on the eighth day to circumcise the child, they turn to Elizabeth and say, ask her because Zechariah can't talk. What are we to name the child? And she says, John. His name is to be John. And they were like, wait a minute. There's nobody in your family named John. So they turn to Zechariah. To substantiate it, he had to get a writing tablet, and he wrote out on the writing tablet, his name is to be called John. And at that particular moment is when God released his tongue, and he spoke. Silence had been broken. 420 years had been broken because it says in God's word, it says, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Christmas comes. You anticipate it. 420 years of silence. Then a prophet by the name of Zechariah speaks. And then what happens? Six months later, Jesus is born. Shepherds hear about it. Two years later, a year and a half, two years later, wise guys show up. And then what else do you get? You get 28 years of silence. Wow. I mean, other than those few moments, those few days of Jesus in the temple at age 12, we don't know a whole lot that happened from age 2 to age 30. Peace comes. Peace comes in its own way, in its own time, just as Advent. Peace is measured by your willingness to wait and trust. Isaiah 40, 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I want to read you as we close out what Zechariah, the one who had been silent for nine months when his tongue was unleashed. I want to read you his prophecy right out of Luke chapter one. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. 
and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This Christmas, may you pause, allow yourself to be found, allow yourself to comprehend as best you can how deeply God the Father loves you, how Jesus is removing obstacles between you and God. May you trust him and allow him to guide your feet into the way of peace. Merry Christmas. God bless. Until next week. I worship you.